Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be in the house of Jesus Christ where He reigns in our lives. It's an honor to partner with you. I especially want to tell you how much I love your pastor. You are so blessed uh, to have him. That's exactly right. And there's, there's nothing that we can't say about Brandon Theobald. He's been here forever. I mean, it's probably been 25 since I've been back at this year, 25 years, but uh, that, I'm only 30 now. And so, uh, so Matt called me and he said, he said, uh, hey Bill, uh, do you believe in free speech? And I said, of course I do. He said, would you come to Canton to give one? You know how wily he is. Um, no, he didn't say that. A husband and wife were sipping wine as they were sitting on a porch together. been a hard week. They were tired. The wife finally broke the silence and said, I love you and I don't think I could ever live without you. To which the husband said, Is that you or the wine talking? And the wife said, It's me and I'm talking to the wine. I love that story. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, he's been here three minutes and he's talking about wine. He does not know who we are. I think I do know who you are. I'm a total abstainer. But, uh, but I love that story. I love that story because this woman was passionate about her wine. Well, I like to see people passionate, especially about Jesus Christ. Especially about the Bible, the church, God's mission for us, right? It's a fun thing when you're getting to know somebody. Like, what are you passionate about? So I'm going to ask you that question. I'm going to ask you a series of seven questions. That's what my message is about. Making you think. So the first question I'm going to ask you, what are you passionate about? The moment I say that, I recognize that you are in church. And if I asked you outside of church what you're passionate about, you may give a different answer. When we're in church. When we're in church and someone says, what are you passionate about? You're all tempted to lie. You're all tempted to lie in church. I'm I'm passionate about God. I'm passionate about God's word. Worshiping God. I'm passionate about making disciples. I'm passionate about sharing the gospel. I wish that's what we were really passionate about. Right? Because what happens is, when we're in church, we give a churchy answer. But it's a great question. What are you passionate about? So maybe my next question is, what are you really passionate about? And how can we know what we're really passionate about? All of us are passionate about something. I'm going to give you three C's. They all begin with the letter C. 
And I want you to write them down right now. I don't know if there's anything else I'm going to be able to say to you that you might want to write down. But I want you to write down these three C's. These three C's actually will tell you what you're passionate about. Okay, first one. Write it down. First one is your conversations. Your conversations. When you get a chance to chit-chat with people and enjoy conversation... Those are the kinds of conversations that show what we're really passionate about, right? So here's what Jesus said. From the heart, the mouth speaks. So watch what people say. Watch what they talk about. Because it's one way to know about what you're really passionate about. Your conversations. The second C is the calendar. The calendar is a big deal because we only have 24 hours a day. And whatever you allow into your calendar shows what you really care about. You show me your calendar, you show me what you talk about, I'll have a pretty good idea about what you're passionate about. The final C is your checkbook or your, or your cash or your credit card. It's the money part of our lives. You show me how you spend money and I'll show you where your heart is. You show me what you talk about, I, I will show you what you're passionate about. You show me what you put into your calendar and you let run your life, I will show you that is what you really are passionate about. And all that's fun and here's what I challenge you to do because we're all going to leave here and go to lunch. And I want you at your dinner table, your lunch table today, and just say, let's talk about these three C's. What do our three C's say about what we're really passionate about? Maybe we get some clarity on that. And maybe you might not like the answer to your question, but that's how God initiates change in our lives. So I encourage you to do that. Now... What are you passionate about? That's a good question. What are you really passionate about? That's a funner question. But maybe the, the most theological way I can understand this is, what does God want you to be passionate about? What does God want you to be passionate about? Friends, i got great news for you. God has not left us wondering what He wants us to be passionate about. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Let's start at verse 28, but let me give you a little highlights that happen in the book of Mark uh, chapter 12. In chapter 12, they want to kill Jesus. Who's they? Religious people. Friends, Beware of religious people. They're so about their agenda, not God's agenda. They're so about controlling people. Friends, listen to me now. Religious people get so religious, they get so far away from God. For example, in Jesus' day, who gave Jesus the most trouble? Religious people. They were so into religion, they could not see that God Almighty was standing right before them. There's a blindness to religiosity, so we got to be careful. 
One, this is all part of it. If you look, if you read chapter 12 sometime today, you'll see that one of the things that happens is all these religious people, and they had political motives, and they had all kinds of different motives, and they, they actually try to, they, they give Jesus a question that was setting him up to be killed by the Romans. Now, thank God we don't live in a society in which people try to set us up and say politically incorrect things and cancel us. That doesn't sound familiar, does it? I mean, that is exactly the day and age we live in. Well, guess what? You want to go against Jesus in a game of wits? Good luck with that. He's always going to win, and he always does, and he does it in fine fashion. And then they don't want to mess with that. But guess what happens in this chapter? The religious people say, okay, well, he didn't fall for that one. Let's figure out. Let's, let's ask him some questions. And they asked him this question. Which, which, he says, which commandment, Jesus, is the most important commandment? Let me read it to you right now. Verse 28. Let's pick it up in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Can I just say something? I long for the good old days of debating. We have not figured out how to debate. We've lost the art of it. And when you learn the, when you lose the art of debating ideas, when you lose that art, you get very poor ideas. If there's anything that's happened in this country in the last 10 years, we have some very, very bad ideas. And they're being forced down our throats. So you know what we got to do? Instead of putting people down, let's attack the ideas. The only way to get great idea is to attack the ideas. We're so busy attacking each other. He says, he heard them debating. I long for the good old days of debating ideas without ad hominem attacks. But boy, the internet's full of just attacking each other. Hey, just a word to the wise. Nobody ever said from one of your tweets or from one of your posts on Facebook, finally I see this light. Thank you for changing my life. That's not going to happen, friends, on social media. And it's just a waste of time. Let's make disciples. Let's share the gospel. That's the only hope. He says, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. This is verse 28. Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? Friends, this is because... In Jesus' day, the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, you know, all these religious people, the scribes, they had taken the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they counted all the commands that God had given in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And they came to this magic number, six. 113 commands in the first five books of the Bible. Now, great news, I do not have 613 points to my message today. But isn't 613 things you have to do, doesn't that feel a little bit heavy? If you're a Jew, man, that's hard, right? i got to do this, this, and there's all these things. If you've read Leviticus, you know exactly what I'm saying, right? 
This is where people drop out of their yearly uh, Bible reading in Leviticus. Because it's just one thing after another after another. And yet they are God's laws, right? And this poor guy walks up to Jesus. And he's a guy. There's a, there's a, there's a male thing happening here, right? Jesus out of 613, which one? Just give me the one. Because a guy can't do more than one thing at a time. If this was a woman, he would say, I can do 613 things every day. I married a woman. She's amazing. And I let her do all the thinking. Right? Because she can manage 613 things. My wife told me this. She said, there's a reason. One day we were talking about how different we are. And, uh, and she said, this is the truth. She said, I was listening to Christian radio. Somebody was there explaining how God makes a male child in the mother's womb. At some point in that process, there's a shot of testosterone that goes into the brain and kills the brain cells. <laughs> now, this is my wife's take on whatever that program was. And then she looks at me, and that's why you guys can only think of one thing at a time. Well, not only can I think of one thing, you know what? Most men I know, this is so true, most men I know have a place in their head that women do not have. And that's the place where I do absolutely nothing. I'll be downstairs watching football, and I'll just be laying back, and I got nothing in my brain, and it is beautiful. My wife come down, and she says, what are you thinking about? Nothing. She can't believe it, man. There's never been nothing in that head of hers, right? So this is what's kind of going on here. 613 things you got to do. It's a man. He's like, please, Jesus, tell me the most important. That's what every man wants to know. What do you want me to do? Just tell me. And that's kind of what's happening here. And it says, the most important one answered Jesus. Now, pause. Did you know this? I'm such a geek about Jesus. I love Jesus. I've made my life. I think Jesus is the clearest understanding of how he wants us to live. So I'm going to study Jesus like crazy. I'm obsessed with Jesus. And you get obsessed with anything else, it ruins you. You get obsessed with the person of Jesus, it grows you. It makes you passionate. So here's this whole, this whole thing here. It says, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus, this is the thing, Jesus starts answering the question. Did you know that if you ask Jesus, you can study this in the Bible, if you ask Jesus a question, he's 40 more times likely to answer a question with a question. It's it's rabbinic. This is what a rabbi does. The old rabbi joke is, why do so many rabbis ask so many questions? And the answer is, why shouldn't they ask so many questions? <laughs> See what I did there? I mean, that's kind of what's happening. It's, this is how we wrestle scripture together. But this is one of the few times, like less than 12, this is one of the few times somebody walks up to Jesus, asks a question, and you know what? He answers, he just goes right in for the kill. 
of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Shema Israel. Adonai, Adonai Elhenu. Adonai Echad. Which is Hebrew for exactly what you see there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is the one and only. And if you were a Jewish person, you would know this as the Shema. Say Shema. Shema is the first word in the Shema. The Shema became uh, a, a, a prayer and a, uh, a, rec- a reciting of three different passages in the Old Testament, all starting with Deuteronomy 6. You got your Bibles? Just look at that. Mine says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It has a little footnote there, and I look down and it says Deuteronomy 6. Jesus is now quoting Deuteronomy 6. They said the Shema three times a day. All the time they say the Shema. They wake up in the morning, Shema Israel, Adonai, Elhenu, Adonai, Echad. And then they would just go on and quote more passages of Scripture. But that was the beginning. So this is it. This is so interesting. Every Jewish person knew the Shema. It was like the first thing you learned. You know, in a, in a Jewish family, this is so interesting to me, in a Jewish family, uh, when a baby was born, the rabbi would immediately take the brand new baby and he would, the first words that a baby, Jewish person, a baby would hear, he, the, the rabbi would go, Shema Israel, Adonai Elhenu, Adonai Echad. And then go on and on and on. It was so important to them. So here's the story. I think, now this is the situation. If, if we were having a debate right now about the greatest Christian song ever, and I bet you would have an opinion on that, but somebody would drop the mic and say, Jesus loves me, this I know. You can't beat that. You can't beat that. That's the gospel. Right? And so it's just like this whole situation is what's going on is they're asking all these hoity-toity questions and Jesus says, you guys, you say this over and over and over again. You want to know what? It's under your nose all the time. You're saying it all the time. So this is interesting. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says, love the Lord your God. This is Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. There it is. You want to know the life that God wants you to have? It is a life Monday through Sunday in which you have one goal. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the the Bible people in the crowd think, wow, that's a great four-point sermon. The moment you do that in the Hebrew, it ruins it. Because here's the point. Love God with everything you have. Love God with all your money. Love God with all your time. Love God and your family. Love neighbors who hate you. Love people that drive you crazy. Because of God's great love for you. You love God with everything you have. Not just sit in your fanny in a church for an hour every Sunday. Come on. It's about following Jesus Monday through Saturday too. Right? At least trying to. How can I love God today? But then Jesus throws this little thing. They said, which one? They asked, which one is the most important? Look, verse 31. The second, oh, 
They only asked for one. But buddy, when you ask Jesus a question, you better be ready for a second one, right? This is who Jesus is. He says, love God with all you have. He says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, this is a thing that Jewish rabbis do. They grab a passage of scripture that you think you know, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You think you know that. You think you live that. And then he brings you another passage that informs that passage you think you know and it makes you see it in a new light. This is called stringing pearls amongst the rabbis. They would find passages that people knew very well and then they would take a second passage and that passage would inform their understanding. This is exactly what's happening because in the New Testament you see all these religious people and they they think the number one is love God with all your heart, mind, soul. You know what they think their number two is? Don't violate the Sabbath. This is why Jesus is always in trouble with religious people. Because Jesus is like, if you're sick, if you're lame, and I see you on a Sabbath, I'm going to heal you. You're going to walk out of here on your own feet. And, and that's why. Because you know what? It, here's, here's, here's the take. Love God and love people. It's loving to heal sick people, Jesus says. Right? So he says this. It's not about being religious on the Sabbath. But this is a weightier command. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Alright, think with me for a moment. Do this with me. I know you're not Pentecostal and I'm not either. But you'll think I am after this. Do this. Say, love God. Yeah, see, this is a vertical relationship. He loves us. We love Him. Right? What's this one? Love people. These are the people around me. So say, love God. Love people. What is that? Uh So when I see a cross, I am not only reminded... Are you ready for this? Now this is very, very important. I came all the way from Chillicothe, Illinois to talk about this. Alright? When I see a cross, I think about how Jesus loved me and died for me and how that has changed my life. His death, burial, and resurrection. Right? So, but I also see a cross... As once I'm in the family, this is how he wants me to live. He wants me to walk out of here this day, loving God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and loving my neighbor as myself. Let's talk about it. How many of you, let's just get real for a moment. Can we just get real? How many of you are okay with this loving God part? How many? Raise your hand. How many of you have a harder time loving people. Raise your hand. How many of you are sitting next to that person right now? <laughs> Don't raise your hand because it's already going to be bloody. You know this, right? And uh, I had seven kids and boy, they loved it. Yeah, dad, you're, you're the issue in our family, dad. I get it, right? See, that's my whole point is this. We're all in for loving God. Loving people? Maybe. Right? But that's the mission. That is the mission. That's, you know, Monday through Saturday, wherever you go, it says your neighbors. That is whoever's in your regular sphere of influence. Where you live, where you work, where you play, where you church. This is the life God has always wanted us to have. And then he says, there is no commandment 
greater than these. You know what it says in Matthew 22 in the same story? The whole Old Testament hangs on these two. That's what he says in Matthew 22. He says everything is about loving God and letting that love fill us so that we love others. So what, what does... Here's the questions. What are you passionate about? What are you really passionate about? What does God want you to be passionate about? Now we know. What? Say this. Love God. Say this. Love God. Love people. Come on, do it again. Love God. Love people. What would you learn today, somebody might ask? Love God. Love people. That's the most important command. As a follower of Jesus, I'm interested to do the most important thing. I spend enough time on stupid things. But I want to manage my life under these two things. Because they're really just one. They really are. There is no commandment greater than these, he says. So the next question I want to ask you is, what would ever make you love God? I want you to think about this. Truly, God wants us to love Him and love people. But what would ever make you want to love God? And the answer is, ready? The answer is, we love God because He first. So in other words, so in other words, the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is, shows us, comes, God's love and forgiveness and, and new life. And it comes into us. And we now love God. But we're not born loving God. I did mention I have seven kids. I have one with me today. We had six and ten years. And ten years later, because we didn't want to be average, we had another one. And she's 12 years old and she's with us today. Wow. I am such a better father to one than I was six. I'll just tell you that. That was hard. But but I want you to think about this with me. I want you to unpack this because this is where we get to the nitty gritty, like Nacho Libre Libre said one time. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. This whole thing hinges on God's great love for us. I was born loving me. And I spend a good deal of my life loving me. It's a problem. I suspect you have the same problem. My relationship with God is, would be great if it weren't for me. Right? I mean, I struggle with me. You struggle. You know how this works. We're about us. Your beloved grandchildren. I have a grandchild now. I love him. I think he's amazing. He's a sinner. I happen to know his parents. I got stories. So, What's the problem? What keeps us from being God's people that He wants us to be? I learned this in VBS. S, S I N. I'm giving it to you backwards. S I N. Take away the S. Take away the N. I. I want my way. You know, people come to a church and they want to make that church what they want it to be. I got news for you. This ain't your church. None of you. It's Jesus's. He's the head. He's the head. It's His church. He died for it. He gets to decide. He gets to decide. This is so... This is... Now we're moving to, like, Jesus is not only my Savior, He's my Lord. 
we would never, we would never love God on our own. We would love us. You know why? You know, do you struggle with sin? I do. Why do we sin? Because we love it. Sorry. That's the truth. But here's, what do we need? We need a greater love. I know where that's at. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the greater love. So, what would ever make us want to love God? 1 John 4.19, the Gospel. Where would you be right now? Next question. Where would you be right now if you had never heard the Gospel? Isn't that a scary thought? Where would you be right now if you had never heard the Gospel? I would... I don't even want to think about that. Right? Let me show you. Let me tell you a story how the gospel got to me. I grew up in a pagan. Some of you will understand what I'm saying. My parents were hippies of the 60s. You know exactly what I'm saying. So nothing's new in this world. We think This next generation thinks they're doing all the crazy. There's just new ways to do it. But it's the same old stuff. Right? And, my, and they threw themselves into that lifestyle. I was born in a projects in the second generation. My mom was also born in that project. I was doomed to be dysfunctional and poor. They're not always together, but you can be functional and poor. But it was just horrible, right? But there was no God anything. The only time I heard of God was in cursing God's name. And uh, my mom and dad uh, divorced early and uh, my mom didn't know what to do, so she took a job at a bar. That was her friend. The white hair is her friend, my mom's friend, and the dark hair is my mom. They became fast friends because they were living the wildlife. Um, they were working at the tavern. And uh, eventually, the gal on the white hair, her name is Jerry, she uh, got, she had a time of, with her kids on vacation, but she didn't have any money to go anywhere. So she reached out to a long lost sister she hadn't heard from in a long time. And she called, and that sister was delighted to hear her, and she said, I'd like to get away from this tavern for a couple of weeks. I have a, I have time off, but I don't have any money. She said, okay, uh, come and, come and spend time with me. Something wonderful has happened to me, said her older sister. Now you know where the story's going, right? You know, this is how God changes the world. One heart at a time. Through people who don't know a whole, a whole lot of theology sometimes. But they know enough. How long did it take the, the, uh, the woman at the well to become a missionary? About two seconds. You're the Messiah? I'm going to go tell everybody. And that's my story here. That woman went for two weeks... And she came back not only knowing Christ as her Savior and her Lord, but also all into the Bible. And boy, she started sharing. She went back to that tavern and she said, I quit. And they said, you can't quit. you got to give us two weeks notice. She said, fine. I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus for two weeks here. They said, fine. They won't listen to you anyway. They're so drunk. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the whole thing. And it was the, it, our town already had a lot of <laughs> slimy bars. This was the worst one. And uh, it's gone now. But all that to say, she, she just said for the next two weeks while she was there, every time somebody asked her why she was quitting, she told them about Jesus. That tavern for two weeks became a ministry run by the Reverend Jerry. And she told everybody about Jesus. And my mom, who loved her, they were best friends, wanted nothing to do with her. That's my family. Why would... 
What happened to her? She's nuts. And she kind of was. But only in a beautiful way. And so my mom was so glad that those two weeks were over and all of a sudden she started pulling into our projects where, where the little apartment was and she started knocking on our door. And my mom, this is the truth, my mom would close that door and we would act like we weren't home. Hey, I, pause for a moment. When your pastor comes to your house, I want you to know he knows you're in there. He knows you're in there. And she knew we were in there. One day she got to the door before we could close it. My mom was so angry. I am so sick of this woman coming here to preach Jesus to us. We're going to let her in, hear what she has to say, and we're going to ask her to leave. And she opened the door and said, Hi, Jerry, how are you? You know how this works. (laughs) And all I remember as a little kid, it's, it's in my brain, is that... Jerry came in, they sat down at our little table. My mom poured coffee. Jerry and my mom smoked. And the smoking evangelist opened up the Word of God. And my mom heard the greatest story ever about a God who created the world and how sin entered that world and how it's corrupted all of us and he promised one day he was going to send someone who would step on the devil's head and crush his head and he would be bruised in the in the process of it and of course we know that to be Jesus Christ and my and my my mom was getting this full thing here and she was learning and at some point she said uh Thank you. And then she came back every two or three weeks. She would have another Bible study with my mom. One day, after many of these Bible studies, my mom asked a question. Jerry, can God forgive somebody like me? My mom has told me that she has broken every one of the Ten Commandments except thou shalt kill. And I'm here to tell you, when I was in junior high, she almost killed me a couple of times. So she was like on the thread of like just hanging on there, right? Because I had a way of jacking her up. And she said, how can God forgive somebody like me? And here's what Jerry said. Probably a a believer for a month. You know what I'm saying? She said, Porky, because that's my mom's nickname. I have an earthly family, family. I really do. Porky, she said, God loves to forgive people like us because we already know we're in trouble. And my mom said, I believe in Jesus at that moment. Later, there was a sinner's prayer. But she said, that was the moment. Now, I'm here to tell you, in the words of my stepfather, quote about my mom, the most changed woman I had ever seen. Now, I tell you all that because... Some of you have a way different story. And guess what? I want my kids to have that story. You know what? I I want them to have my wife's story. Born and raised in a Christian home. Baptized after she received Jesus Christ as as a child. But she meant it. It meant something to her. And somewhere in her life, she accepted not only Jesus as Savior, but she realized, I need to give my life to this God. He's the only person I need to give my life to. That's the story I want all my kids to have. But here's the point, right? Don't miss it. Where would you be right now 
if you've never heard the gospel. If you have somebody in your life that you... Um, that is still alive who helped you find Jesus and follow Jesus, would you call them or text them today and just say, hey, I heard a story and it reminded me of you. Thank you. Thank you for helping me find and follow Jesus. Now you'd say, nice story, bro. Right? As the kids used to say. My question now is, so what now? We're at the end. So what now? Friends, I want to say something to you. It's great to see how full everything is here. Can I tell you something? Perhaps the mark of a healthy church isn't how many people gather for church on Sunday, but rather how many of us who live sent when we leave. I love the church gathered. I don't miss. I love the church gathered. Friends, listen. But I love equally Monday through Saturday the church on mission where you live, work, play, and church. You ha- you, if you think God only wants me to sit my fanny in a church and listen to it, and I like all this stuff. I, I don't miss. There is a whole life that God wants you to live Monday through Saturday. And I want to challenge every one of you to not know just Jesus at church, but to know Jesus in your life. I have a prayer I want to show you, and I know this is Matt's been sharing this with you. It's called the Disciple Maker's Prayer. This, listen, none of this is about you going out sharing the gospel and making disciples. You know what it is? It's a prayer because of your great love for God and you're like ooh, 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 Lord could you use me where I live, work, play in church your pastor doesn't go to those places maybe he goes to your house and he goes to your church but listen you know people when God sends us out to preach the gospel and to make disciples he does it for every he wants every person who knows Jesus to live that way of life. And here it is. These seven passages of Scripture totally inform this prayer. Look what it says. It says, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. God has given you a disciple-making way of life, and it's just like Jesus's. As I go through every part of this day, think about doing this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you, because this is the goal. Help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. You know what's weird? Christians who don't like their family. Right? And then you know what else is weird? Christians who only like their family. That's weird. Because last I look, it's all nations. You know what the Greek word for nations is? Ethnic groups. All people. We love everybody because Jesus died on the cross for everybody. Don't let me miss the adventures. Can I say something to you? In church, typically, and I don't know about you, but in church, typically, men are bored and women are tired. All you who are bored, all you who are tired, come out of that religiosity and start following Jesus together.
It's so much fun to follow Jesus together. Look what it says. Don't let me miss the adventures that you're sending my way. I believe God has those appointments for every one of us. And it's not necessarily standing up on the lunch table and preaching the gospel for 30 minutes. It might just be kindly listening to someone. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. Now, I'm going to, with your pastor, we're going to tag team this Saturday, and we're going to lay out a very simple but transformative equation from the life of Christ. And I want to challenge you to spend that time with us next Saturday, and just spend that time so we can all study together how does God want us to live as His people Monday through Saturday? It's for everybody in this room. It says, by your word and spirit, because none of this is self-help. It's always what God does for us first. Then we love God. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples, who make more disciples. And then there's my favorite phrase, ad infinitum, which means to infinity and beyond. Till the whole world knows and loves Jesus. Friends, God has no people that are on mission with Jesus. He wants all of us to be on mission with Jesus. It's not scary. You got somebody who's from Africa. People are like, oh, I don't want to live like that. Da, 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 da. I love that you got somebody from Africa because it's all nations. But you know, we can start here because this is a nation too. Last I saw, we're losing ground in America. For all of our churchiness, we're losing ground. Guess what? In the first century, 300 years, are you ready for this? In the Roman Empire, this is history. A little band of Christians displaced paganism. And literally the Roman Empire became Christian. You can, we can fight about how Christian it was. But Jesus was powerful. The church flourished in crazy times. Would you stand up? I'm going to pray this with you, and I want you to pray it with me out loud. And I want, I want you to... And by the way, if you don't have any of the, I want to make sure... If you don't get one today, I have a little prayer for you here, right? Uh, they're somewhere, wherever Matt put them. And uh, they might be here, I don't know. But I want to make sure you get one, or you can go to disciplemakersprayer.com and get one yourself, or I'll give you one Saturday. Would you pray this with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me find a way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendship. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples. Ad infinitum, in Jesus' name, amen.